Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. Our scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, the fourth chapter, beginning with verse number one. Listen once again to the word of God. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Ellie is the 14-year-old orphan and the central protagonist in the HBO miniseries, The Last of Us. A fungal pandemic has wiped out much of humanity and we soon learn that her blood might hold the key to developing a vaccine. Human society has collapsed. Violence is rampant between the various factions. In one scene, her closest friend, Riley, says goodbye as she prepares to leave for another city to fight for her coalition. Ellie is frustrated, and she simply doesn't understand the desire of her friend to go and fight for this cause. But then Riley explains that it's not about a cause at all. She says, you don't know what it's like to belong. I mean, I didn't have that for long, but I had them. I belong to them, and I want that again. Maybe this group isn't what I thought they were, but they chose me. I matter to them. Ellie replies, you mattered to me first. Belonging is a powerful theme in this miniseries, and belonging is the pivotal, if not the primary theme of the human drama. In the early 2010s, when ISIS unleashed its horrific violence 
in Syria and Iraq, Muslims around the world condemned the violence. Nevertheless, an estimated 11,000 foreign fighters made their way to Syria, including American and British citizens. As a matter of fact, before two men left England, they ordered two books from Amazon. One was Islam for Dummies, and the other was the Quran for Dummies. These men were not religious zealots at all. They were religious rookies who really did not understand the tenets of Islam. Why then were they going to fight with ISIS? The writer Paul Rauschenbusch gave this a lot of thought. And then drawing on the work of the Council on Foreign Relations, he tried to make sense of this confusing development. In an essay, he described the profile of a typical person who had joined the ranks of ISIS. Usually, they were young men between the ages of 18 and 25. They lacked a strong social network, and they were looking, they were looking as Rauschenbusch puts it, for a sense of belonging and identity. The allure of a group like ISIS is that it gives these seekers a sense of purpose and being part of something larger than themselves. And there we have it again. A sense of belonging, a sense of purpose, a sense that I matter. What were they seeking? Maybe, maybe they were looking for religion, religion in the best sense of the word. The word religion is derived from the Latin word ligere, which means to tie or bind. Religion is like a ligament. Ligaments connect bone and muscle. Religion connects us to one another. I don't understand the hatred and the violence and the rage of groups like ISIS. I hope I never will. They are vile and cruel and sadistic. But this desire to be a part of something larger than myself, to tap into a deeper sense of meaning and purpose, this yearning to matter and to belong, that, that, my friends, resonates me. And I suspect, I suspect that it resonates with you. And if we listen closely to what Jesus has to say this morning, we might just discover that it also resonates with him. Immediately before Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, John baptizes him in the Jordan River. As Jesus comes up out of the water, God says, this is my son, the beloved. I am pleased with him. Jesus, as many of you know, is Joshua in a Greek form. Jesus, that's his name. But in his baptism, Jesus is given another name, one that we often, look, often overlook. His name is the Beloved. That is who he is, the Beloved. And because that is his identity, he will heal the sick. And because he is God's Beloved, he will embrace the outcast. And because he is God's Beloved, he will challenge injustice. And because he is God's Beloved, he will teach others about God's love. Jesus knows who he is and whose he is. In today's scripture reading, we see that our identity 
as God's beloved is so important to us that the evil one will do anything and everything to strip away from us this memory, to lure us into forgetting who we are and whose we are. If you are the Son of God, the devil says, planting seeds of doubt. Jesus' experience in the wilderness helps us to see the true character of temptation. What is temptation? Well, if there's one thing we think we understand, it's temptation, isn't it? It is that uh, desire, that inclination to do something that we shouldn't do. Temptation is the proclivity to act in such a way that is inconsistent with our values. And so we might be, we might be tempted to use drugs to numb our pain. We might be tempted to engage in insider trading to benefit our family or a friend. We might be tempted to have an inappropriate relationship to tend to that emptiness and longing inside of us. Uh, We think we know all about temptation, don't we? It's all about what we do. And while this is not wholly wrong, it's not wholly right. This understanding of temptation, my friends, simply misses the mark. We associate temptation with behavior, but as we see in today's scripture reading, temptation involves character. Temptation involves our identity. If you are the Son of God, if Jesus has just been name the beloved he knows he is the child of god the precious one the one with whom god is so pleased but the devil tries to seduce him into forgetting who he is if um if you really are the son of god go ahead turn these stones to bread uh, if, uh, are, Jesus, are you sure you're the uh, Son of God? Uh, if you are, I'll take you to the pinnacle of the temple, then you fall down and the angels will take care of you. If Jesus refused to yield to temptation, that is, he remembered who he is and whose he is. This is my Son, the Beloved. I am pleased with him. Jesus belongs to God. Because Jesus knows who he is and whose he is, he is not seduced into forgetting his identity. In my favorite passage from John Calvin's Institutes, he writes poetically about the nature of belonging to God. Calvin says, says, we are not our own, Let not our reason or our will therefore sway our plans and deeds. We are not our own. Let us therefore not set it as our goal to seek what is expedient for us. We are not our own insofar as we can. Let us forget ourselves and all that is ours. Conversely, we are God's. Let us therefore live for him and die for him. We are God's. Let his wisdom and will therefore rule all our actions. We are God's. Let all the parts of our life accordingly strive toward him as our only lawful goal. Some of you have asked me what I am going to do when I leave Madison Avenue. 
well, I'm going back to Pennsylvania and I will live with my wife for the first time in four and a half years, which I think will be wonderful and I think will be a, uh, a challenge. Uh, I've got lots of yard work to do. I've got friends I want to see and then I'm going to go visit my mother. I have spoken to her many times, of course, since my father died in December, but I'm looking forward to going down to South Carolina and spending time with her. Uh, I sort of get my sense of humor from her and so I think it will be basically be a very strange but fun week. But in South Carolina in May, and it will be very, very hot and very, very humid. I, I just delighted in my time in New York when I've complained about the heat and humidity. And people will say, well, well aren't you from South Carolina? And I said, well, that's why I moved here. That's why I, that's why I left. I assure you that when I was growing up in 96 South Carolina, those summers were very, very, very hot and very, very humid. But in those summer months, my two younger brothers and I would get on our bicycles and ride all over town and inevitably, without fail, on the way back to our house, we would go to the corner of North Main and Cambridge, Cambridge Streets. We would go into Monty's drugstore because Monty's had two things. One, air conditioning, which was a luxury. And two, Monty's also had a water fountain. And that water tasted so good on those August afternoons. As soon as we would walk into the drugstore, Mr. Turner, who worked behind the counter, would call out to us, uh-oh, look who's here today. Uh, those Vaughn boys have just walked in. Oh, who's this coming in today? I see them. There are those Vaughn boys coming in now. Mr. Turner uh, um, did not know who we were. He didn't know our name, but he knew something far, far more significant about us. He knew whose we were. He knew that we belonged to J.D. and Rosemary. My friends, in no small measure, when we gather for worship here week after week, we come to call one another by name and to remember who we are and whose we are through him and prayer and scripture and the splashing of water and the breaking of bread and the drinking of wine in our fellowship God says to us oh look, look who's here look who showed up today uh, you're my son you're my daughter and nothing nothing can ever ever change that my friends, in our age, and indeed in every age, the great temptation of the church is to forsake our God-given identity and settle for another identity, an identity based not in Christ, but in race or nationality or gender or popularity or an economic system. One of the most dangerous and sinister temptations facing the church today is the rise of Christian nationalism. Quite frankly, I don't see anything Christian about it whatsoever. It is one thing, as we explored last week, to join with Jesus in engaging the social, economic, and political challenges of our day. 
It is quite another thing for any congregation, any faith-based coalition or movement or school to identify with a particular nation or political party. To do so is an egregious act of idolatry. My friends, you belong to the God we know in Jesus Christ, who in the power of the Holy Spirit rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, not on a steed and not in a chariot. My friends, because you belong to the God we know in Jesus Christ, you are called not to identify with the powers and the principalities of the world, but with the poor and the rejected, with the outcast and the lost. Because you belong to Jesus Christ, you are called to reject any ideology, even those clothed in religiosity, that would dehumanize and stigmatize any child of God. And because you belong to Jesus Christ, you are called here at Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church to nurture our community of belonging and inclusion based on Christ's love and no other criterion. This, I believe, is the greatest spiritual challenge facing the church today. It is also one of our great opportunities. As I have shared with you before, 65 million people have left the church in the past generation. Research tells us that they have left because they were searching for genuine community and instead they found judgmental attitudes. They left because they wanted to make a difference in the world, to experience a depth of mystery and purpose and meaning, and instead they were asked to join a committee. Instead, they were asked to keep the ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical engine churning. That is why they have left. And yes, I am passionate about this issue. I have written about it for years. I have preached about it. I have spoken about it to groups. And yet, I have yet to discover, yet to discover one congregation that cares. They are far too busy trying to get people on committees and balancing the budget than opening up their hearts and their doors to the people that God has called them to serve. What I, what I hear from you, what I have heard from you over the past two and a half years, those of you who have been here for many, many years, and those of you who have just joined in the past 18 months, what I have heard is this restless desire for belonging, for mattering, for a community that earnestly and deeply grapples with what it means to be a follower of Christ today. This is one of the many things I so appreciate about you and one of the many things I will miss about you. I appreciate you because you have a hunger for faith, a faith that is real and relevant, a faith that speaks to how you live from day to day that informs your decisions, that is intellectually rigorous, passionately honest, and socially engaged. My friends, this is what I have heard from you about the kind of church you want to be and become. A church that offers authentic, genuine community grounded in Jesus Christ. You have that here. Nurture it. Love it. Cherish it 
as I have shared with the personnel committee and might have shared with you, last year, 42% of pastors in our country across the board wanted to resign and leave the church. There are more dysfunctional churches in our country now than ever before in our history. You have the opportunity to make a huge difference in this city by continuing to do what you have been doing, offering genuine community, compassion, care, reaching out with the love of the beloved community and to this city. You make a profound witness to Jesus Christ. That is my most fervent prayer for you, that you will remember who you are and whose you are. That is your identity. And Jesus Christ, you belong to God, and you do not belong to anyone else. And that is the temptation of our day, to forget that we are grounded in him and in no other. As some of you know, for 30 years now, I have kept a little stuffed animal in my office. It's about so big, it's a soiled, tattered little bunny. Scott gave it to me. I was serving in my first congregation, a very small rural church in North Carolina. We had a woman in that congregation, Joy, who enjoyed driving around the community, throughout the country on Sunday mornings and just picking up children wherever they might be and bringing them to church. She brought Scott to church. I'll never forget the first time I saw him. I was greeting people out the door and he raced up to me and he wrapped his arms around me and he held me like a vice. And I knew, my friends, I knew in that moment that tender hugs and expressions of love had been far and few in his life. His hair was greasy, his face was dirty, his clothes were tattered, but he held on. The last time I saw Scott, I was at the door and he, he raced up to me and he, he held up his stuffed animal, this little bunny about six inches tall. I said, thank you, and I went to give it back. No, no, I want you to have it. I want you to have it. Oh, no. Scott, thank you so much. Thank you, but no, I, I can't take that. I gave it back to him. No, I want you to have it. And it was as if he were entrusting to my care this tender, broken, love-starved part of his soul. He was five years old, that was 30 years ago. And I wonder, I wonder, did anyone ever take the time to turn to Scott and say, you are the beloved? Did anyone ever wrap their arms around Scott and say, God, love you. God has claimed you. Has anyone ever told him the good news that he matters and that he belongs? That has been the driving focus of my ministry for 30 years. And I'll leave you with this challenge. There are hundreds and thousands of Scott right outside our door. They do not know they are loved. They do not know that God has claimed them. And they are waiting. They are waiting for a congregation like you 
to go out and say, you are the beloved. Come and join this community of faith. Amen.